0: Jim Oates, would you please uh, come to the platform? And uh, let's give a living waters welcome to our brother here. I've kind of rehearsed in my mind what to say to you, and two or three times I've had the name, the, the title Pastor Jim Oates, come into my mind. And uh, in, in many ways, you're like a pastor, and I think you do pastor people. You've you've loved and given so much of Christ to so many. For those of you who don't know Jim, Jim is a Christian businessman in the Louisville uh, metro ed- area, uh, had several years of uh, successful business uh, through uh, a number of businesses, actually, uh, HVAC, plumbing, um, residential development, all kinds of things that he's been involved in. Uh, I think those kind of pale to some of the ministry things you've been a part of in your own heart. And uh, he was uh, one time on the board and director of the board of uh, Wayside Christian Mission and helped to develop more of that ministry to its success today down in Louisville. And then several years back when we spun living waters christian school off from the church as a standalone institution Uh, jim stepped in as the chairman of the board for the school board and uh, did marvelous work in helping the, the school stay on track uh build a greater financial base uh they built the the school building down here under jim's leadership jody was a big part of that jody was such a Such a uh, ramrod to get so many things done. I remember walking over there and seeing you and Matt just pouring your heart out into that building. And uh, they did that because they loved so much what what Cornerstone, eventually, what was Living Waters Christian School, Cornerstone became. And uh, we appreciate that. He's done so many other things. Maybe he'll mention some of those today. I don't know. The Serenity Center here in town, been a part of. Jim and Debbie have been Christian leaders. Uh, at Southeast Christian Church other churches in the area uh, they've just been so influential for the kingdom of God and with no uh, expectation of, of, of something back other than the blessing of the Lord and uh, they're, they're just in love with Jesus we've known that for many years I met him through Ed Berry I think and uh, had had uh, the blessing of his friendship for many years so Jim we welcome you to the pulpit today, we thank you for everything in your life that has brought you to this moment right now. Your obedience to God, uh, his purpose that's driving you to do all that you do. Thank you for being a yielded vessel. So if you would come a little closer, unless you are getting one of those uh, moments where you say you read people, and you don't want to get that close. Um, <laughs> he'll tell you more about that. But uh, I just want to pray for you. Okay. And I want to touch you while I do okay. it. Lord, I thank you for this choice vessel. And you have just done so many wonderful things in his life. I've watched it at a distance, sometimes up close, but mostly at a distance, even though we've been friends for many years. And I know you've done awesome things through him. Would you just please give him your grace now as he speaks to us, let him pour out upon us every word that's from your heart to us let him be just a mouthpiece for you to express your love your challenges anything you want to say have at us today lord have at us and and uh may we not be the same people when we walk out of this room uh we love you we love jim pray that he'll have every freedom every glorious moment right here as he shares with us today fill him with your spirit In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, I forgot to bring my books up here. Uh, Out in the gathering place after the service, uh, we have, Jim has brought uh, two books that he's written. One is a history of his life, journey with God. The other is a kind of, I'd say, a primer on discipleship, how to walk, how to get close to God, how how to mature in Christ. Uh, those are going to be given away for free uh, as long as they last if we run out of them and you still didn't get one you just speak to me i 'll take your name he'll make sure we get some more um, don't take five you know take 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 one or two, uh, maybe one of each or whatever you want you feel led to do but um, uh, if you want to and we didn't i didn 't talk about this to you anymore, but if you'd like to Pay something for the book. His request is make a donation to Father's Love. So, if you want to pay for the book, you say, "Well, I just can't take a book, you know, and for free, I could pay for it." If you want to do that, make a donation to Father's Love. All right, you can do that on the website. I've talked way too long. You go for it. All right, welcome. Give him a hand.
1: Well, Philip is. So kind, way too kind, uh, the way he introduces somebody. Um, I feel like I I felt the first time I ever soloed an airplane, a little nervous, but really excited. Uh, I'm so honored to be here today with you all, standing on this platform, um, realizing such great great preaching and leadership has come from this platform. Now I had, Stephen called me a few months ago and I had time to uh, go to your website and go back and watch a lot of the services for the last six months or a year. and And I want to say that that website is awesome. I don't know who all is involved in it, but... I go. I do this with about six other churches, including two mega churches, Southeast Christian. We were at in Louisville, and then the church we were part of in uh, Palm Beach, Florida, Christ Fellowship Church. And I can tell you, none of them have a website that is easier to navigate and get into sermons and either listen to them or watch them. So, uh, kudos to whoever's responsible for that. But as I got into a lot of the sermons that have been preached and and starting with Stephen and and Philip both. What great teaching you have here. What great teaching. Uh, And then I caught David Reagan. And I'm like, how does Living Waters Church in little Shelbyville, Kentucky, get, I mean, my wife started uh, supporting Lamb and Lion Ministries many years ago. And when I got to listen to him, and uh, and he just acts like you all are family, <laughs> and with your interaction with him, with Israel, and just to listen to him teach on prophecy, which is something I'm not very good at, but uh, unbelievable. And and then I guess two of my favorites, uh, Ed Jr. and Buddy Barry. Um, Now, those two, you don't know what they're going to say or what they're going to do when they get on this stage. They are awesome. They're so full of energy. Uh, Of course, Debbie and I still call Ed Jr. Little Ed because we started babysitting him when he was about this tall. Now, if you think he's sharp enough to get Aaron Rodgers and and Randall Cobb and some of these great athletes, let me tell you how sharp he is. He had us convinced that his parents, every night gave him a dollar for him to go to bed and go to sleep. (laughs) So not only did we get the babysit for him free, we had to pay him a dollar to go to sleep. He's slick, I'm telling you. You can tell by looking at his hair he's slick. And and buddy, I what can I say about buddy? You know, we we've, we've known buddy so long and went to many of his football games with uh with uh Skip and Joyce and you know, buddy had and I'm, I know many of you probably know this, but when he was very young, he had a very special anointing on him for quite some time. He still does, but I mean, it was really big then. And I remember, I think he was still, he wasn't even out of high school. And a large group of us gathered over in Head and Tish's living room. This is when they were still living on Elm Street over in uh, Eminence. And we were all, probably 20 or 30 of us, gathered in a circle in Ed's living room all. And Buddy was going around praying for each person. And I remember when he got to me, he didn't say anything. He just looked at me and smiled. And he put his hand on my head and I went out cold. And it's only, that's only happened to me a couple of times. It happened to me once in Bolivia when I was doing mission work. But an amazing, amazing person. And then, of course, Ed and Skip... Uh, longtime friends of mine our businesses did a lot of work together a lot of hospitals all over the place for 20 or 25 years and uh, I'll never forget one time Skip called me he said Jim you know Living Waters Church I said yes he said I'm going to remodel their and, and, and expand their sanctuary and I want you to come and put some new heating systems in and he said now there's two catches one we don't want to miss a service and two, I got a really tight budget, so there's not enough money to pay you what you need. And I said, okay, well, I thought you were going to give me something hard. But, you know, uh, I went back and I watched John. I, li- I like watching John Connie speak because he gets into uh, t- breaking down Scripture scientifically and theologically. And I love, I love watching that. I love watching Marty Brown talk about being a mother. Uh, Jim and Lynn Price, I saw Lynn earlier, when they talked about marriage, and Ed and Elsie Preston, I see you out there, loved watching you all. You know, Ed, I knew that we had flying in common, and I knew you flew helicopters, but I never knew that you got shot down twice in Vietnam, and that you got wounded. That's amazing. So I was was glad to see that, and all that you all went through in your marriage, so... uh, And uh, I think probably the one that I really liked watching was Doc Schell. When he came here. What amazing. And you know, I thought about him going from Asbury College. Young man from Asbury College. And coming down here to Graffensburg Methodist Church. And taking that church. And then going to a board meeting one night and telling them God told him they either got up and got with it or they were going to die. What kind of guts did that take for him to tell them that. And uh and what what how amazing it was that, that that uh revival broke out there and and it just kept growing and growing and that church was busting at the seams. And then how he and his wife was able to hand down the, the ministry to Joel and Carol and and then after a while it ends up coming down to Clay Village and being Living Waters Church. Amazing. And uh and then I thought it was really so amazing as well that then they were able to hand it down to their son-in-law and daughter, Stephen and and uh, Delisa. I mean, that's that's awesome stuff. And here we are today. Um, you know, Stephen has been such an encouragement to me. Not since he's been here. You know, I was just winding down at Serenity Center and uh, and mm-hmm. going through a lot of challenges and and. His prayer and praying for me and his encouragement. I want to tell you how I met Joel. It's been between 30 and 35 years ago. Uh, Ed called me and said he and Tish would like for Debbie and I to go with them to this crusade that was happening in Shelbyville. And the evangelist was Clyde Dupin. And, uh, and so we said, sure, we'd love to go. And we, we went and we sat through the service. And at the end, there was an invitation. And Debbie and I went forward because we were having some challenges with one of our family members, and and as we were going down, many of the pastors and ministers of Shelby County were lined up across the front, and we just kind of gravitated toward this man that was so handsome, and he had a big smile on his face and was wearing glasses, and we just went right to him, and he stuck out his hand and said, hello, I'm Joel League, and he said, how can I help you all? And so... He took us behind the bleaches and he ministered to us for a while. And it was—I remember this, honey. You'll remember this—that he looked at us and said, "I believe you all have been involved in ministry." I don't know how he got that, because we didn't mention it. But uh, but then you fast forward about ten years from then, which would have been about twenty years ago. Uh, Debbie and I had since moved to Shelbyville, and. I was playing golf at Shelbyville Country Club, and a banker named Charlie Clifton and a lawyer named Lewis Mathis came. Oh, hi, Charlie. <laughs> There's Charlie and Judy right there. They came to me, and they said, you know, we are working with a school out at our church, and we're having some challenges, and we wondered if you would be interested in coming out and helping us out. So I said, well, I'll go to a board meeting. And I gotta be honest with you all, it was the worst board meeting I've ever gone to. (laughs) Really. And I told them both that I didn't think it was something that that I really wanted to be a part of. Well, a few weeks later, I knocked on Joel's door. And he came with a big smile and he said, I remember you. And I said, I remember you. And I said, Guess what? I'm the new chairman of the board of your school. (laughs) We gotta figure out how to get this thing working. So that was my experience with Joel. And, uh, uh, <laughs> I don't want to leave out Philip, though. Executive pastor. That's a big deal. I remember working with the executive pastor at Southeast Christian, a guy named Tim Hester. And I'm going to tell you, you can't imagine all the responsibilities that an executive pastor has. And just how he worked with me in the last few months, just getting ready for this time today and I heard David Reagan say the same thing when he was preaching how Philip took care of everything for him and putting it all together um, I told Philip I've always been a little jealous of him you know Philip's tall he's handsome he's well spoken I'm none of that And, and I've always wanted my whole life to play a musical instrument and sing And I can't read a note and I can't carry a tune. In fact, the best thing that ever happened to me was having to wear a mask in church because then I don't annoy everybody around me during (laughs) worship. But Philip, he just plays that keyboard and sings. So wonderful. And uh, and I guess the other thing is that he's still got good hair and I have no hair. (laughs) So I'm still jealous of you. But, you know, I said all that to say this. When we say yes to Jesus, we really do become part of a great big family. You know what the Bible calls that family? It calls it the kingdom of God. We're all one together in the kingdom of God. And uh, I've thought a lot recently about how I have this dual membership, dual citizenship. Um, You know, on on one hand, I'm a citizen of the greatest nation on earth. Never been one like it, and I don't think there'll ever be another one like it. And uh, and then on the other hand, when I said yes to Jesus, I became a citizen of the kingdom of God. You know, if you're sitting here today, and you said yes to Jesus, and you're a citizen of the United States of America, and you're a citizen of the kingdom of God, you should never have a frown on your face. I mean, you should be smiling all the time. You should be happy because we are so blessed. It's unbelievable how blessed we are. I had a lady friend over at Henry Christian Church. She's gone to be with the Lord now. Some of you may have known her. Her name was Naomi Gold. Naomi was that lady that sat in the back of the church and all during worship and even during the preaching, she was saying, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus! And, uh, I can remember saying to Naomi, Naomi, how are you doing today? She said, Miss Oates, I'm too blessed to be distressed. I'm too anointed to be disappointed. You know what? I want everybody to stand up. Stand up out of your seat. I want you to put your hands in the air. And I want you to say after me, I'm too blessed to be distressed. I'm too anointed to be disappointed. Thank you, Jesus. Keep standing, I'm going to read some scripture while, while, while you're standing. Uh, the two scriptures I'm going to be talking about today, get my glasses out where I can see them. The first one's in the uh, book of John, the gospel of John. It's the 13th chapter, verses uh, 34 and 35. Jesus says, I new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, my disciples, if you love one another. And then the second scripture I want to teach about today is in the book of Hebrews. Right before James, right after Titus. Let's see here. Chapter 4, verses. 15 and 16 says for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses but we have one who has been tempted in every way yet as we are yet he did not sin let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need Y'all can be seated. You'll notice that the theme of these two passages is love, grace, and mercy. I can never remember a time when we more needed to uh, examine our ability to show love, grace, and mercy. This pandemic has wore us all out. Two years now. Uh, Civil unrest like I haven't seen since back in the 60s when I was just uh, getting out of grade school, going to high school. Political divide like I've not seen in my whole lifetime. And that division has filtered down into not only our families, but into the church as well. We need... Love, grace, and mercy. I want to talk about these today, and I want to refer to them as deeper lessons. Philip told you about this book. I wrote it in 2020. And the sixth chapter of it, uh, hold that book up, Philip. No, the other one. Yeah, that one right there. The Journey of My Faith. The sixth chapter of that book uh, is titled The Deeper Lessons, and it discusses love, grace, and mercy. And like you said, like Philip said, the books are out there when you leave. They're free. And uh, because of my love for Marty Brown and and what she did at Father's Love, and it's my favorite mission in Shelbyville, what they do with those kids. If you want to make a donation to her. Uh, I also wrote a book this past year. It's A Few Essential Disciplines of the Christ Follower. It would be out there as well. Philip told you about it. You know, I found that God can speak to us in many ways and under many different circumstances. He speaks to me mostly when I'm quiet and listening. Often, He's spoken to me during challenging times as I've walked through the valleys of life. I see heads shaking out there. Some of you, I have too. I've also found that God can reveal deep, hidden truths to us as when. When we cry out to him as we're suffering, I had to be away for, from home for most of 2019 and part of 2020. Uh, I was at a hospital called Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida. The biggest valley I have walked through in my life began in August of 2016. I was working as the director at Serenity Center, doing a lot of addiction counseling, and I found out that I was sick and I'd only have a few years left. When I was down to just a few months, they told me I could get a new set of lungs. When I came out of a 12-hour surgery, I was in a hospital bed with a lot of equipment hooked to me for 27 days, and then I spent three months in rehab learning how to breathe and walk again. As I laid there day and night, I felt God speaking to me that I would write a book about the journey and explained to others how God worked through medicine and faith to heal me. Um, when I was released to rehab, my wife took me to an office depot and bought me a new laptop, and I sat in a rental house in Jacksonville, Florida, and I began to type out every word that God had spoken to me. Now, I want to piggyback on What Stephen was preaching two weeks ago, he was talking about how God speaks to us. So how does God speak to me? I suspect that he speaks to me the same way he speaks to many of you all. He speaks to me in my heart. And you might ask, well, how does that work? You know, if I was sitting here today and I had never given my life to Jesus and I had never received God's Spirit into me, and someone was saying that God was talking to them, I'd be thinking, how can that work? How, How does that happen? And then you wonder, how does God speak to me in my heart? Well, the first thing you need to know that the heart that I'm referring to, which heart that is. The heart that is spoken of over and over in the Bible is not this organ in our chest that's pumping blood through our veins. In fact, our English language doesn't have a word to define that heart. We have to go to Greek, and the word is cardia. And in our modern language, we get words like cardiovascular, or cardiac arrest. Um, In the Greek, this word is used to describe the center of our life. Some Scholars refer to it as the center of our intellect. I like to think of it as the place where my mind and my, sp- my soul and my spirit come together. And I believe it's the place where God dwells in us. The Bible teaches us that we receive Jesus and the Holy Spirit in our heart. And it, Acts 2.38 says, Repent and be baptized Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When I was 27, I gave my life to Christ, and I was baptized. I began to have thoughts that I never had before. As I studied and searched, I began to realize that God was speaking to me in my thoughts. First, I was getting these messages as to what to do and what not to do what to say and what not to say. And I had to start cleaning my language up, to be honest with you. Uh, When I would do wrong, I started having feelings of guilt and remorse that I'd never had before in my life. As time went on, I began to sense the direction I should or shouldn't take, uh, doors I should or shouldn't walk through, and that helped me a lot in business knowing what doors to walk through and what doors not to walk through. After many years of doing this, I came to a point where I could write down some of the things I could sense God saying to me in my heart. So why does God speak to us when we are suffering? Could it be that that's when we cry out to God the loudest? God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? You remember Jesus from the cross? He said, Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I want to go and read uh, a page out of that book. I've got it here. The day I met with the pulmonologist, this is page 45. The day I met with the pulmonologist changed my life. I had gone alone because I had no idea of having anything serious. After about three hours of exams, which included blood tests, x-rays, breathing function tests, I met with the doctor. He said, Jim, I've got some news that's not so good. He explained to me that I had idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. Now, pulmonary fibrosis is the scarring of your lungs. Idiopathic means they can't determine the cause. He said there was no cure. I asked him how long I had. He said, probably about three years. I remember driving... I 64 back to Shelbyville with tears in my eyes and asking God why. The next moment, I said to myself, I wasn't going to start down that path of blaming and questioning God. I knew from years of studying Scripture that this was not God's fault or His desire. I began going over in my mind how we live in this fallen, broken world, and because of our sin, Along with that sin came sickness and disease. And I remember God had promised me he would walk through every valley with us. So I committed myself that from then on I would not complain or be mad or bitter, but that I would remain faithful and fight as hard as I could, and I would be a blessing if I could. I found that sometimes it's through trials and challenges and testing that we are able to deepen our capacity to obey God and develop his character. Just as fire refines ore to extract precious metals, God can refine us through difficult circumstances. When we go through difficult times in life, we can complain or we can try to see how God is stretching us to develop the character necessary to be his followers. I remember when I returned to Kentucky and I spoke at Henry Christian Church I said to him if I had it all to do over again I'd never change a thing because I realize that if I hadn't gone through what I did I wouldn't be the person I am today and I wouldn't be able to share with you the things that God has shown me through all this. It's said that every day God is weaving together a tapestry of our life. There are days When things are not going so well. When we're walking through the valleys. If you look at that tapestry in its different stages, it's not very attractive. A lot of loose strings hanging off the back of it. But when our life is at its end and God has completed his work in us, we're going to be surprised how beautiful that tapestry will be. Laying there in ICU in a bed at night alone with my thoughts, God was showing me a new thing. He was teaching me about love and grace and mercy. He was taking me to a deeper place that I'd never been before. First, he showed me love. And one of my favorite shows of all time is the blockbuster Forrest Gump. How many of you have seen Forrest Gump? And you know Forrest. He was amazing because he uh, became a football star with Alabama. He was all American. He... uh, he went to Vietnam. He saved his buddy Bubba. Carried him out of the jungle wounded. He became a Olympic ping pong player. Um, and then he operated the Bubba Gump Shrimp Company. You might remember a scene in Forrest Gump. Jenny, his childhood sweetheart, he, her, his childhood sweetheart, while he was doing all this, she had lived a life of rebellion. And she had gone off with the hippies and got into drugs and, and, uh, and in this scene she's come back she's sick from drug use and she's going to marry Forrest and live the rest of her life with him and I remember they're standing in the foyer of, their, of his mother's house and she's getting ready to go up the steps and Forrest looks at her and says Jenny I might not be a smart man but I know what love is it took me 66 years and going through the battle of my life to begin to understand love. I began to feel a love that I never had felt before. I was experiencing people take care of me and pray for me. I was hooked up to machines and was so weak, it would take Debbie and several nurses about 30 minutes to get me to the side of the bed to use the potty and then wipe me and settle me back in bed. They would bathe me. After the feeding tube was removed, they would feed me. Most every nurse would pray with me, especially at night when they'd come in the middle of the night, they'd pray with me. I realized that they were doing all of this out of love. And I began to see a love on a different level. It began to birth in me a love that I never had before. <laughs> I want to share a funny story about one, what happened one night. Now, I'm still in ICU. It's about the third week in ICU. And uh, in ICU, lung transplant ICU is a special place, and they have these beds that literally can go in any position. They can go upside down. They can do anything they want with you. Now, you've got a picture. I'm laying in, in this bed, and I'm on my back. I can't move. I've got two drainage tubes coming out of this side of my chest and two out of this side of the chest, and they're going down to canisters on the floor, and they're draining fluid and infection out of my lungs. I've got an IV pick in my neck so that when I go into AFib, the crash team comes in and they shoot drugs straight into my heart to get it straightened out. I've got an IV in this arm, an IV in this arm. I've got a thing on this finger that shows the nursing station what my oxygen level is. I've got heart monitors up and down my chest, and I've got a blood pressure cuff that goes off every 30 minutes, and I literally can't move. I've got the nurse's call thing here, and it also is the remote control for the television. I only kept the television on this special channel that Mayo Clinic has where you can watch the outer space, you can watch the galaxy, and this soft music plays. And I just kept it on 24 hours a day because it kind of took me to a different place. Well, I had this little Jamaican nurse, and I loved her. She was so sweet, and she had a strong Jamaican accent. And she would come in my room, and things would be messed up, and she'd be trying to straighten things. And she'd, under her breath, she'd always be saying, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. And so one night, I'm sound asleep, and the bed starts moving. And I thought I was dreaming, but then I realized I was awake, and the bed was moving. And I wasn't doing anything to it. Now, those beds can go straight up. And so my head's going up, and my feet are going down. And I've lost the nurse call. And I realized that the pee bottle they gave me, it's up on the rail. I'm thinking maybe it's stuck, and I can't get to it. It's maybe on the, on the controls of the bed. I must have hit it. when. I, so only thing I can do is I get up. I'm coming higher and higher. I started screaming, help, help. And my little Jamaican nurse, she comes running in the door. She said, what's wrong, what's wrong? I said, the bed's out of control. She said, Lord have mercy, the bed's out of control. I said, yes. So well, the, the tray table's stuck and it's getting ready to crash on the floor. So she runs around and she's trying to fool. I said, no, no, no. I said, check the controls, see if the pea bottle's stuck. So she runs back around and it is. And she loosens it and the bed stops. And I'm already about like this. I'm getting ready to go out. And all of a sudden, silence. The bed stops, silence for about 30 seconds or a minute. And I just busted out laughing as hard as I could laugh. She said, Lord have mercy, what are you laughing at? I said, I was just thinking, if they could put this on America's Funniest Home Videos, we'd be the laughing stock of Mayo Clinic. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus told his disciples in the scripture today to love one another. Now I want us to understand the setting that uh, Jesus is in when he speaks these word. He, he's just getting ready to go into Jerusalem for the final gruesome week of his life. In the beginning of the chapter, he calls his disciples together and he washes their feet. When I was putting this together, I remembered the time when I was a chairman at Cornerstone and Randy Brown came in at graduation with a basin And a pitcher of water and a towel. And he took the shoes off. Every one of the seniors. And washed their feet. And I thought. What a picture of love and servanthood that was. At the end of the chapter. He tells Peter. Before the rooster crows. You will deny me three times. It's in this setting. That he teaches them. This new commandment. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, love one another. By this, all men will know your disciples if you love one another. Earlier, the Pharisees had asked Jesus, What's the greatest commandment? And you all know that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. So, what is this God's love? Again, we have to refer to the Greek, and you all have heard this a hundred times, I know, agape. It seeks no reward. I'm going to love you even if you don't love me. Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount that we were to do good to those who wrong us. Our desire should not be to keep score, but to love and forgive Did you know that this is the reverse of our natural inclination? Because of our sin nature and our pride, we must be reprogrammed. And it requires supernatural help. Only God can give us the strength to love as he does. As Christ followers, we should strive above all things to have God's love in our heart. Every morning when I'm praying in my prayer journal, I ask the Lord, help me be a blessing to someone. If I'm going to play golf, I say, Lord, help me be a blessing to someone today. If I'm going to council or to a board meeting, I say, Lord, help me be a blessing. This morning, I laid there in bed. I was getting a text from Philip, and I had just asked the Lord, help me be a blessing to Living Waters Church today. I want to read another page of my book, the journey of my faith. I have to say here that the number one channel of love was my wife, Debbie. It's hard to believe, after all I put her through for 50 years, that she has loved me with all of her heart. She has gone through, what she's gone through with this illness and transplant has taken another level of love. First, she went through finding out about the illness, and then two years Two years of many ups and downs as I began the process of using oxygen with constant coughing, especially at night. In the first year, while I was on the heaviest dof- dosage of prednisone, I couldn't control my anger. Anger is the number one side effect of prednisone. It felt like there was a rage going on inside of me and that everyone was against me. Debbie had to take the blunt of that blow. Then as we began the valuation for the transplant, we were told that they would not transplant me unless I had a totally committed caregiver. She had to agree to sign papers that from the first day of the evaluation stage through the last day of rehab, she would attend every procedure and every meeting. She had to agree that during the transplant and the total time I was in hospital, she'd be there from 8 to 5 to help the nurses with me. Then when I got out of the hospital, she would have to be by my side 24 hours a day, seven days a week for three months. In total, she'd have to be away from her home and her family for a minimum of six months. We had to meet with male clinic psychiatrists, a social worker, a caseworker, as well as the transplant doctors to be sure that both she and I were up to it. She had to find a house to rent for us to come to and get it ready She had to learn how to manage my medicines because I couldn't do it myself. And then she had to teach me how to do it. I still get emotional sometimes when I think about what it was like for her when they told her everything was on hold because they found a cancer tumor on my pancreas. Also, when I was waiting for lungs, the doctors came in and said they were only, they were going to have to put me on a ventilator and that we would only have a few days if they didn't find lungs. After they found them, she had to wait all night in the waiting room while they put them in me. I think, about what, I think about what it was like for her when I got out of the hospital and couldn't walk and she had to do everything for me. So I ask you, have you ever seen such love? Through my suffering, God was showing me this love as it was being poured out by others to me. As that was happening, God's love was becoming a part of me that had been missing my whole life. I've read that God's saving work of grace in the heart of a sinner is the true source of love. As I began to have this love, I started to learn about grace and mercy. our second scripture today, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one that's been tested in every way just as we were and yet was out to sin. Therefore, let us boldly approach his throne of grace where we find grace and mercy in our time of need. The last few months, before my transplant, I read a book by an apologist named A.W. Tozer. The name of it is The Attributes of God. And I recommend it to anybody. As I read this book, two of the attributes jumped out to me. Grace and mercy. Little did I know I would spend the next six weeks awake at night Not being able to move, thinking about God's grace and mercy. I began to realize that to show grace and mercy to others, you must have God's love in your heart. I had come to a point where I had no control. I realized that to show love, grace, and mercy, we must let go of control. We must let go of judging. We must turn control and judging over to the Lord. You see, we live in this fallen, broken world. There's a battle going on inside of each one of us. And the battle is between the new person that God wants to be and this old person that's still cardinal and corrupt. What is God's grace? It's a divine grace. God's grace was a gift to humanity when he allowed his son to die the most gruesome death on a cross for each of us so that we could be set free from sin and death. Another picture of grace is like Philip talked about during communion. He didn't say this verse, but Ephesians 2.8.9 says, It's by grace that you are saved through faith, and that not of yourself it's a gift of God. Philip talked about grace and gift. Those are the operative words. Salvation is a gift of God because of His grace. I can tell you with absolute certainty that there's not one person in this auditorium today that has sinned more than I have. I know that for sure. And I can truthfully say that if God would have put all my sin on one side of a scale and the few good things I've done in my life on the other side, I would never have become a part of the kingdom of heaven. It wasn't possible. Paul wrote to the Romans... God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's grace. In fact, that's amazing grace. Can I become more kind and loving to others even when they don't deserve it? God did. God's grace requires us to forgive the one who hurts us the most and deserves our forgiveness The least. Can I forgive others when they wrong me, even if they don't do the same for me? God did. You know, we find oftentimes that grace and mercy are similar and they're sometimes used interchangeably. However, they're not really the same. Grace is God blessing us when we don't deserve His blessing. Because of the sin in our life. Mercy is God not punishing us. When we deserve punishment. Because of the sin in our life. I want to say that again. You got to get this. It's important. Grace is God blessing us. When we don't deserve his blessing. Because of our sin. And mercy is God not punishing us. When we deserve punishment. Because of our sin. Jesus again speaks from the cross as he looks down at a spiteful crowd and he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I find it interesting that when Jesus invited his disciples to have dinner, he invited tax collectors and sinners. And you remember the Pharisees, they said, why would Jesus eat with those kinds of people? You remember what he said to the Pharisees? He said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. When we realize how completely God has forgiven us, we must, not hold, we must not withhold forgiveness from others. God has forgiven us as far as the east is from the west, the Bible says. And did you know that our grace and mercy can change others' lives? I want to tell you about the first person who was ever killed because of their faith in Jesus. And we call this being martyred. His name was Stephen. We read in the book of Acts that the disciples had gotten so busy that they needed to appoint what really was probably the first set of deacons. And they chose Stephen, the Bible says, because he was full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And because of his boldness in proclaiming the gospel, he was stoned to death. As he fell to his knees and was taking his last breath, he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Now, there was a man named Saul. He approved of the killing. In fact, he was probably watching it happen. One chapter later in the book of Acts, Saul has a miraculous conversion on the way to Damascus. He gives his life to Christ, and his name is changed to Paul. He goes on to become the greatest missionary in history and writes over half the New Testament, 14 books. What do you think it meant to Paul to see Stephen show grace and mercy at his point of death? Do you think that might have affected his life? I realized that I couldn't make this change on my own. I must become totally dependent on God. We must relinquish control and allow the Holy Spirit to have its way in us and through us. It requires me to offer unconditional love. I must love someone even if they don't love me back. Can we do that? It requires me to humble myself. I must let go of pride. I like what Micah the prophet said in in chapter 6. Verse eight. Now, the subtitle of that chapter is the Lord's case against Israel. Israel is a lot like us. They were in a cycle. Rebellion, repentance, forgiveness, rebellion, repent. And this sixth chapter, the first five verses, Micah is speaking for the Lord, and to paraphrase what those first five verses say, the Lord's saying With all I've done for you, how can you treat me the way you're treating me? And then the next two verses, he's speaking for the people, and to paraphrase it, they're asking God, what do we need to do to get back in right relationship with you? And then this this eighth verse is the one that I want to read. This is him answering back to the people for God. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with the Lord your God. God has made His requirements clear. Do what is just and right. Love mercy and walk humbly with Him. In your efforts to please God, examine these areas on a regular basis. Do you show mercy to those who wrong you? Do you keep your ego from taking over your thoughts and actions? Are you living in a way that reflects a deep, growing relationship with God? Somewhere I read that Satan has a nuclear weapon. It's called pride. When I was at the point that I could do nothing on my own, when I went through a season that I had to rely on someone to do everything for me, to feed me, to bathe me, to help me use the bathroom, to make all my decisions for me, I had no pride left. Then I could be molded like that lump of clay. Then I could be used by the master. So I want to summarize. Let's summarize. Love. We need to develop God's love in our heart. It will require humility. We need to remember God's love is unconditional. We need to show that love to all people, hoping that in some way we can win souls. Grace. We must show grace. Despite the hurts that are inflicted on us, we need to learn to bless others and be a blessing. Even if we feel it's not deserved. Mercy. We must offer mercy despite our tendency to want to dish out punishment even if we feel it's deserved. How does our soul begin its pilgrimage toward beauty? First, it's broken open through repentance and love. Then, and only then, can the sunlight of grace and mercy shine through. I'd like to close with a question. What legacy would you want to leave behind? What would you want your tombstone to say? How about he or she had a beautiful soul? I'm going to ask Philip to come. I'm going to pray for you all. Every head bowed. You know, only God knows what's going on in our hearts. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if you've got God's agape love in your heart. Maybe you're sitting here today, you've been in church all your life, but there's someone you need to forgive and and you just can't do it. Maybe you don't have God's love in your heart because you don't have God's Holy Spirit in you. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. Father, forgive us. We do not know what we do. Lord, I pray for every heart here today, every head that's bowed. God, I pray that your love would be in each one of us. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here today that's got a grudge, they're not right with someone, and they need to let go of that, and they need to let Your love shine through on that person, and there needs to be some forgiveness. Lord, I pray that that would happen. Lord, I I just sense the presence of Your Holy Spirit. Lord, if there's someone today that has not received Your Spirit, doesn't know what it means to have the peace that passes understanding. God, would you touch that heart? And Lord, if there's someone here that's never said yes to Jesus, this could be the day for them. You know those hearts. Lord, we thank you for all that you have done for us. We are so blessed. Lord, I think about your plan of salvation. Salvation. I'm just still in awe of it. How you could take the third part of yourself, your Holy Spirit, and send it into this little town of Nazareth in this little country so far away, Israel, and allow it to impregnate a little teenage girl so that she could give birth to the second part of you, your son Jesus, so that he could go to that wooden cross And paid a penalty that he didn't deserve. Precious Lamb of God. Spotless. Sinless. That we could kneel below that cross. And his blood from the thorns and the wounds and the beatings could drip down us. On top of us and cleanse us from our sin. And set us free from sin and death. God we thank you for Jesus. We pray all this in his precious name. Amen.
0: brother has brought to you his life story much of it with just in the last few years he's exalted jesus in that story he's let you know that christ will meet you where you are no matter where that place is in your life right now maybe everything's going great for you maybe you're in a struggle maybe you're in a trial a test Maybe you're facing illness, whatever it might be, you that are watching online with us today. Christ wants to meet you right where you are, and he will ensure that he walks you through those things. Even if it's a dark valley, uh, even if it's the shadow of death, he will be present right there with you. Jim, thank you for a wonderful job in sharing that testimony today. Uh, You did not disappoint. The Lord used you to speak many things to me. I want to say this too. Back when I was in my 20s, I met a Christian businessman that blew me away. I was sitting across the table from him in a Shoney's restaurant. And he was a chicken farmer. And he shared Christ with me in a way that I'd never heard a Christian, Christian businessman do since. Uh, and then, yet, I've met Jim Oates, and he's every bit like what I experienced that night. As I sit there and listen to that businessman share the fact that Christ meant everything to him, and 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 you can you can know Jesus and do business too, Amen. If today you do not know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to call the number that's on your screen right now. We have someone there waiting to receive that call they've been trained to treat you kindly to love you and to ask you the right questions and to pray with you and help you to draw closer to christ even to ask him to come into your heart so i hope you'll call that number right now we have altar ministry people i should have already called you up would you please come and be prepared let's stand together we're going to sing are you going to sing the the great song again i was hoping you would Let's stand together, let's worship the Lord, let's give thanks for His grace in our lives, that He's poured love out upon us, more than we can contain, and much that we need to be sharing. If you need to have prayer for any reason, we want you to come to these fine folks here, and they will be glad to stand with you.